Welcome back to Be Her, Be Heard. Presented by Harvard undergraduate women in business. Welcome back to Be Her, Be Heard. I'm Caitlin Chen and a rising sophomore at Harvard University. I'm currently the sponsorships director of the business convention in Harvard's undergraduate women in business. And I'm Alexis Bolner, a rising junior at Harvard and a co-logistics director for the 2020 Intercollegiate Business Convention. Joining us today is Julie Rice, an entrepreneur best known for co-founding the fitness phenomenon SoulCycle, a multi-million dollar business offering spin classes rooted in creating spiritual and soulful experiences for riders. Additionally, SoulCycle's dance party atmosphere and fostering of social bonds among riders creates a fitness outlet about so much more than getting a good workout. Rice's endeavors have transformed the modern sphere of fitness, health, and wellness, and she remains an influential leader and role model to aspiring businesswomen. Also included in her business experience is previously serving as a partner at WeWork, and she is currently the co-founder of LifeShop. LifeShop advises and invests in entrepreneurs and consults with businesses at scale. LifeShop is also developing original concepts in the health and happiness space. We are so excited to have her with us today to learn more about her journey and experiences. So just to start off, um, what did professional experience look like before founding SoulCycle? Sure. So um, first of all, thanks for having me, you guys. It's great to be here. Um, and I can, I can honestly say that ever since I was a small child, I had always been interested in theater and performing arts, and I just loved productions and acting. And so when I went to college, there weren't you know, a lot of choices in terms of, I knew I didn't want to be an actor, but I wanted to do something in the entertainment business. And so at that point, you know, you could kind of, the only real career path was being an entertainment lawyer. Um, so I thought maybe I'd go to law school and become an entertainment lawyer. It would keep me close to something I was very passionate about. But I started to do internships um, over a bunch of different summers, and I worked at talent agencies, which ultimately led me to becoming a talent agent. Um, I moved to Los Angeles, where I represented actors, and I helped put them in TV and movies. And uh, my my... My expertise was really going to the theater in New York, picking out great people, young people from the stage, and then moving them across the country to Los Angeles and helping them to become movie stars and TV stars. And so it was a completely different business, seemingly. Although ironically, I do think that um, every decision that you make along the way and every different career path that you try is ultimately a stepping stone toward you know, your ultimate destination. I think that in the entertainment business, I learned a lot of things. I actually learned how to be an entrepreneur because as we all know, the entertainment business is very tough. It's a survival of the fittest business and you're always having to come up with original ideas of how to get things done. No is not an option. So you're always trying to figure out, you know, how to get a client in the door, how to revive a production that's running out of money, all of those kinds of things. And in their own way, those are entrepreneurial. And I also think that something that I also really learned from working in the entertainment business was I really began to understand brand. I was a manager. And so as a manager, your job was really to 
not only place clients into jobs, get them acting jobs, but also to think about their PR story, maybe endorsements they could do, other kind of verticals that they could begin to think about. And so we actually built people as brands. And so it started me to think three-dimensionally about people, about how the world could perceive them and how people could make other people feel. And interestingly enough, all of that absolutely translated when I decided to go and start SoulCycle, as well as the fact that really the instructors that we hired at SoulCycle were very much like the actors that I represented in Los Angeles. What we did at SoulCycle, which really made our business unique, was we treated our instructors like they were the talent. We absolutely managed all of them. And in a interesting way, SoulCycle was just a different version of a stage that we created for people to be able to express themselves with their bodies artistically. Okay, and then was the health and wellness industry a space that you had previously imagined yourself working? And when you left um, your job in a talent agency, um, when you left to pursue SoulCycle, what drove you to maintain your faith in your idea and take the risk to start SoulCycle? Sure. So nobody thought it was a good idea in case you're wondering. Everybody, including my parents, thought it was a terrible idea. I had a great job. I was actually successful in the entertainment business. I had health insurance, as my parents pointed out to me. And everybody thought this was just about the worst job. Uh, I moved back from Los Angeles to New York in 2003. And what I had found was that in New York, exercise was just a grind. There were big box gyms. Everybody went there, grinded out, you know, burning the amount of calories that they needed to burn, was competitive in everything that they did there. There was no community. There was nothing social about it. Everything that I had experienced on the West Coast as lifestyle was missing in New York. And so I personally wanted a product that I missed very much. I missed exercising with my friends. I missed it as a social aspect. And so for me, and I always say this to entrepreneurs, starting a business really has to be a calling. It needs to be something that keeps you awake in the night. I really believe that the idea has to be that burning in you because there's so many obstacles that you will face along the way that if you are not absolutely sold on your idea and you just need to put something into the world, I think that being an entrepreneur is probably not for you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I think it's really interesting to hear that you worked in entertainment and the talent industry before um, and that that may have potentially influenced your vision for um, the instructors um, at SoulCycle and their relationship to riders. So I guess I'm wondering, um, as you mentioned, SoulCycle came about at a time when boutique fitness classes looks a lot different and maybe didn't even exist at all um, in the way they do now. So where did your idea for SoulCycle specifically come from and how did you initially imagine it to turn out? Sure. So interestingly enough, in 2006 in New York, there was no boutique fitness at all. It's, it's hard to picture because now if you go to Union Square, just in four blocks, there's probably over a hundred different offerings. But in 2006, there was nothing that existed like that. The business model was literally, you put down your credit card, they charge you for a monthly membership, big box gyms were the only offering. And the truth is their business model actually revolved around two things. They hoped that you didn't show up so that they could sell more memberships because the equipment was less busy. And the real profit center at large gyms is personal training. 
the membership is a gateway, and then they hope that they can upcharge you for other things. So when we decided to create a pay-per-class model, people thought we were insane. They thought that's just about the dumbest thing you could do. The great thing about gyms is that you just have the imprint of somebody's credit card. You can just charge them forever, and we all know how hard it is to actually cancel our gym memberships. That's a whole career path in itself. So um, we actually looked at it, though, that if we challenged ourselves to create a different kind of customer experience every time, that every time you came, we were only as good as the last time that you were there, that we would, we would really be creating something that was very special. And so, again, back to 2006, we actually had to invent a category to put our own product into. It wasn't like we were just saying, come to the best spin class. We had to sort of create this pay-per-class category. And the, the phone calls that I would get every day were, why would I pay for this when it's already included in my gym membership? Uh, but we saw real holes in the market. We saw holes with a few things. First of all, there was no technology, and we actually invented the reservation system concept. Before SoulCycle, you had to go to the gym an hour before your spin class, which was only 45 minutes long, line up, put your name on a paper list, then do something for an hour while you waited for your spin class to begin. So it was a, it was a two and a half hour process for a 45 minute spin class, basically. Nobody was branding anything so that there was no brand. The fitness instructor industry was really broken. Uh, instructors didn't even have healthcare. They were underpaid. They'd have to do several different jobs to make a living. So we really felt like if we created careers, they could, you know, they could really be invested as, um, you know, brand ambassadors type of thing. And so those were just some of the obstacles that we saw that were out there that we knew that we could make better. Yeah, and I think now SoulCycle is definitely considered to be an experience mo more so than just a workout about burning a certain number of calories. Um, so what did SoulCycle look like at its founding and how has that developed up until how it looks now? Yeah, so I truly believe that uh, most companies, uh, a lot of the core things that make them special are really reflections of the DNA of their founders. And so a lot of what you see today really was there in the beginning. Elizabeth and I are both really people people. We love community building. We, bo we both, you know, surround ourselves with, you know, a lot of um, in a lot of different communities. And I think that we value people's connections to each other. And so a lot of what we built is really has been there from the beginning. Um, you know, our customer service was really a reflection of our internal culture. We spent a lot of time learning ourselves on the job as the company became bigger and bigger. Um, we began to work with a coach to learn valuable communication tools, um, how to create an atmosphere of transparency where people could feel free to really have conversations with colleagues that, you know, were meaningful. I think ultimately that permeated into our customer service. The way that we treated our customers was the way that we treated each other. We created a whole university inside of SoulCycle. We have a SoulCycle university where we teach people everything from how to connect customers to each other to how you communicate with a colleague. I think that was really transformative. The brand, uh, we created the brand. Uh, Elizabeth had a friend, you know, at the time that we started the business, we both had five month old babies and we had never done anything like this before. I mean, neither of us had ever worked in fitness. Elizabeth um, 
worked in luxury real estate and I worked in the movie business. And every time we didn't know what to do, we'd say like, do you know somebody who does this? Do you know somebody who does that? And so Elizabeth said to me, you know, there was a woman in my prenatal yoga class who moved to New Zealand, but I think she was a graphic designer. Let me reach out to her. And so the wheel that you see today, we created via email on a 17 hour time difference. We would email Caroline, our graphic designer, who eventually became our creative director. And we would say, hey, we're thinking of something cool and chic and modern. And we'd type in all these adjectives and what we would picture the wheel to look like. And then we would go to sleep. And 17 hours later, we would get back drawings of the first iteration. We would say, definitely not green. We're thinking it could be yellow. And so the brand, I mean, really all of the original elements that you see in the studio today, the wheel, the words, we, we, we really thought about all of that. For people that were super scrappy, we started the business on $250,000. We, you know, that was what it was. We self-funded. We built everything from Ikea kitchen cabinetry. We, we made 15 trips through the Holland Tunnel to get it all back, you know, ourselves into Manhattan. Um, but I will say that we had a very clear sense of brand and we felt very entitled about the brand in a time when we really had no right to. We always imagined the brand to be bigger than it was, even as we were building it. And I think our unwavering sort of commitment to making Soul Cycle the star of the Soul Cycle show really helped us to build a brand that had very clear messaging. And so, of course, things have changed over time. Um, you know, we've developed a really, you know, formulaic training program that took a couple of years for us to make mistakes and then, you know, fix them. But I think that a lot of the original seeds of SoulCycle are there today. Yeah, I thank you so much. I love hearing about how you guys cultivated like a very specific and unique um, brand and culture. So when collaborating with Equinox to increase like the exposure for SoulCycle, how did um, how did you push to preserve like SoulCycle's very specific and unique boutique culture? When Equinox made the investment in SoulCycle, I think that we were all very clear that the value of SoulCycle was in its unique brand and its special offering. And obviously they were putting a lot of money in and so they wanted to make sure that you know, as we like to say, the magic, you know, wasn't, didn't disappear or didn't get overshadowed by another brand. And so we were all very clear um, right from the beginning that, you know, Soul Cycles would not be in Equinox, that we were going to lean on their sort of expertise in terms of scaling, in terms of real estate development, um, gym operating, those kinds of things, the much more operational things we knew we would lean on for them. But we were always clear that the training, the culture, the brand, that would stay separate and they would help us much more operationally. Um, and then to sort of go off of that, so since um, taking on a lesser role in SoulCycle and then going to WeWork and eventually LifeShop, um, how do you think your experiences have shaped your career trajectory? I think that there's no doubt um, there are incredible lessons to learn from each of the careers that I have had. I think that in Hollywood, I learned how to make it happen. I think there's a certain hustle associated with that career path that there is no taking no for an answer that if going left doesn't work, you figure out how to go right. And I think that's one of the core things that every entrepreneur needs to know. 
nothing ever goes the way that you think it's going to go, but it's how you pick yourself up and keep going that actually really, I think, separates successful entrepreneurs from entrepreneurs that are willing to give up. Uh, when I started SoulCycle, I had no experience in fitness. I certainly had never built anything like this before, but my business partner and I sat down and we knew that we needed to see between 75 and 100 people a day to keep the lights on. And I just knew I wasn't going home until those people got on bikes. And that was just what it was. So I think I learned a certain type of resiliency from that. I think that I also learned, like I told you before, about people and managing talent. And that really came in very handy when it came to the ultimately 400 soul cycle instructors we had. I think at SoulCycle, I learned a lot about business. Elizabeth and I used to say every time we would make a mistake and it would cost us 25000 50000 Elizabeth would look at me and say, you know, you don't have to worry about it, Julie. We didn't get MBAs. This is our on-the-job MBA. So just think of it as tuition. And I always thought that was a great way to think about it. You know, when you make mistakes like that as a startup entrepreneur, it feels catastrophic because money is so tight. But I do think the on-the-job MBA is amazing. I learned about operations. I learned about P&L. I learned about running a business. I learned about being a leader. And that's a very humbling experience to learn how to lead people. And I think that when I went to WeWork, what was interesting was that although I had learned how to scale a business, and when I left SoulCycle, we were already at almost 70 studios and digitally, obviously, scaling. But I think that global scale is really different. And at WeWork, I had to really think about, you know, it works today in New York, will it work tomorrow in London and on Friday in Hong Kong? And thinking that way, really thinking cross cultures um, is a very different way to think just because when you, when you operate in one country, it's completely different than operating in another. And so for me, the peripheral vision and sort of the magnitude of what physical scale could look like was something that I really learned at WeWork. And now it's it really interesting. I mean, Elizabeth and I are working on a new concept. Um, it's, it's focusing on relational wellness and teaching people to be in productive relationships. And I think that's really interesting and really timely in the world. And I also do a lot of advising. I sit on a few boards and I continue to find that, you know, just as uh, my core passion and my core skills have always been around how you connect people how people matter, how the nuance of people's feelings and the way they react to experience is something that I've always been super interested in. I continue to find that my expertise in those areas is something that can really help businesses. Yeah, definitely. And I think you are alluding to this a little bit, but do you think that SoulCycle influenced your interest in continuing within the health and wellness space? Um, you know, I... I I, I continue to want to create things that interest me. Uh, I, I think that the best kind of founders are founders that actually use their own product. At SoulCycle, we never hired anybody that didn't ride at SoulCycle. You know, it, it really helped us to make sure that our employees were part of our community. It created a different type of community. They became sort of the fabric and the pillars of the community. They could talk to our riders in the same language that they understood. And so um, for me, I think the health of relationships is something that I have really worked on over the past decade with my husband, with my children, leading a company. And so I've really seen how it has changed my own life. And so 
thinking about how to give other people the kind of tools that can help them also have not just transactional, but more transformative relationships. And as Harvard undergraduate women in business, um, aspiring businesswomen and entrepreneurs, we are always curious to hear about how um, businesswomen's experiences particularly have felt like their gender as a woman has influenced their journey at all. And so do you feel like that has um, been influential for you? I do. Uh, first of all, when we started the business in 2006 and on the East Coast, there weren't a lot of entrepreneurs, let alone a lot of female entrepreneurs. It just wasn't sort of, the, you know, today people graduate from business school and want to be entrepreneurs. That's not necessarily what the world looked like in 2006. Um, but I do think that, uh, being women has definitely impacted uh, the way that we have moved through the world. There's no doubt that we've always been the only women in the boardroom when we were there. And that was definitely challenging. Uh, but I will say this, that I think that we all often think, you know, of the disadvantages that we have being women in business. And although we certainly have to fight a little bit harder and work a little bit harder, there's no doubt about it. One thing that Elizabeth and I always do say when people ask us, you know, do you think, can you believe that SoulCycle was so successful in spite of the fact that you were women? And we always say that we think that SoulCycle was successful because we were women, because we were a different kind of leaders, because we listened differently, because we cared about customers differently. I think that part of what actually made SoulCycle what it was is the fact that there was such an influence of two female entrepreneurs on it who were mothers, who are sisters, who are friends, who are wives. And I think that that's really reflected in the culture and the experience of SoulCycle. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Um, you shared a lot of incredible lessons and wisdom with us today. And we were just wondering, um, in conclusion, if there were one piece of advice you would give to aspiring entrepreneurs in our position as college students and young businesswomen, um, what it would be? Yeah, I think that, um, I, I think that there are two. I think that really trusting your gut is a very real thing. I think we all look outside of ourselves very often for the advice that somebody's gonna give us or for the person that knows how to really do it. But I think in terms of entrepreneurship, you know if a voice is talking to you, if there's an idea that won't quit, if it's something that you think is missing in the world or something that you think you can do better than is already being done out there. And I think that if you really get quiet with yourself and listen to what your own voice is saying inside, you can understand if you should be an entrepreneur or if you should pursue your idea at all. And then the only thing that I will say on top of that is I think often people get overwhelmed when they have ideas. We all look out into the world and we see Amazon and Google and you know huge things that have scaled so big that often we think, oh, our little idea is not good enough. But I will say, every big dream starts small. And if you just put one foot in front of the other and do one small thing every day, you'd be surprised how a business just gets started. And I think that when you think about creating something that's gonna affect the whole world, you could talk yourself out of doing anything. But if you think about how 10 people would really love what you're gonna create and you do it really well, I think that's really the beginnings of a, of a very interesting business. Yeah, thank you so much. I 
I really like hearing about your resiliency and your um, and your passion. So thank you so much, Julie, for joining us today to share your stories and insights. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Be Heard, Be Heard. Amazing. Thanks for having me, guys.